Thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. I love that Maddie brought up the, the phone thing. They switched it up. My idea was, because it's not phones going off usually that, that uh, lately. It's been more of, and it's, it's completely unintentional, but people will like look up the Bible on their phone. I just silenced my phone. I just did. Um, look up the Bible on their phone, and then they'll hit like, they accidentally hit play, and then you, you have like the Bible. Re- you ever, next to somebody, the Bible's, re- you know, the phone's reading the Bible to them. And uh, so my idea for the announcement was just like, hey, if you don't know how to use your phone, just bring a paper Bible. But that was mean, Junior. We can't do that. So I like how she did it, though. It is one of the worst sights, and you're going to see it pretty soon. Like, the, the sight is coming. It's a cold day, cold morning. And you walk out to your car, and you can't wait to get in and, like, blast the heat, get out of the wind. And so you jump in, and you're staring at this right here. It's the worst, isn't it? You ever play the game of just like, how good is good enough to drive? You ever do that game? You're like, look at that little hole right by the heater where the heater hits the window. You're trying to drive through there. I used to play that game in, in high school. You know, I, I remember one day I got out to my car and I'm a high school guy. So of course I don't have an ice scraper. I don't think in advance. And so I'm scraping like the window with my nails. You know, the heat is on blast and I'm hoping it would melt, but I'm late for school. And so I called my buddy who lived down, down the street and said, hey man, my windshield is like frosted. Can I get a lift from you? He's like, yeah, bro, I got you. He pulls up to my driveway with his head out the window because he had the same problem. <laughs> his windshield was frosted too. And so I saw him with his head out the window. I was like, that is genius. I didn't think of that. You know, but you just, you can't drive very long with your head out the window because it's just, you know, it's too cold. And so that day, there we are, dumb and I'll never forget that commute to school, dumb and dumber, driving, couldn't see a thing, trying to peek, you know, through that little hole right by, right by the heater. And we were getting close to the high school and we stopped at a stop sign. You know, again, we're trying to look through like a little hole to see, is anybody at this, you know, intersection? And my buddy pulled forward just like really slowly, just a little bit, when all of a sudden there's this tap on the, on the windshield from a crossing guard sign. And we rolled down the window and the crossing guard said, you two are idiots. And we said, well, we can't argue with that. It's scary though, when you can't see, it's freaky. I remember it was last year, I was driving with a buddy um, in Israel, actually. It was a very foggy, foggy night. It was in the middle. It was probably about 2 a.m. We were trying to get from, to, uh, to a friend's house. And um, neither of us are from, from Israel. He's from, you know, he's Puerto Rican and, and I'm just a mutt. And we're trying to figure out, you know, where to go. It's very foggy. One of the windingest roads. And it was right between these outposts of Israeli outposts and Syrian outposts. And we're like, man, just one wrong turn and we could be like in huge trouble. And that was like one of the scariest, scariest nights. It is scary when you can't see where you're going. And it's this very idea that Jesus brings up. The vast majority of people In fact, if we were to be really honest with ourselves, the vast majority of us, if not all of us in this room, are living life, we're making decisions, we're trying to make progress, we're trying to date, we're trying to lead at work and doing marriage and parenting and budgeting with ice on our windshields driving through fog. And the scariest part is we don't even realize how blind we are. And it's this very idea that Jesus wants to talk about. It's Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter five. We've been here for several weeks now. We're going to look at verse eight together in depth. Grab a Bible. Just don't hit play on your phones <laughs> or otherwise there's a paper Bible. It's page 810 in the Bibles in the chairs. And we also have notes for today. Matthew chapter five. Let me pray and we'll just jump right in. God, we do. We do ask that you open our eyes. And sometimes that can hurt. Uh, opening our eyes and seeing just what we need to fix in ourselves. And maybe seeing some areas that we really need to grow. And so, Father, uh, we ask we could just take off the rose-colored glasses through which we see ourselves. And, and may, we, may we see ourselves for, for who we are, in desperate need of you, loved by you, but also in desperate need of you. And we ask that you speak through your word as you always do. May, may we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms into Matthew uh, chapter 5, we find ourselves back on that hill, the slope leading down to the water. It, it actually provides this, this perfect, and this is why Jesus taught here, this perfect natural amphitheater. It's just great for speaking to crowds, and you have the crowds up on, up on the hills. Everybody can hear. It's equally great, though, for seating. Each person sits just a few inches below the, the head behind them, giving this perfect line of sight to Jesus. And there's something to seeing him. It's an inexplicable feeling. And it's not his physical attributes. In fact, the old prophet Isaiah wrote that there'd be no beauty to attract us to him. Actually, he looks rather plain. He dresses rather plain. He's not frumpy. He's just, he's just plain. Though he does wear an expensive cloak. A teacher's cloak that was likely gifted to him by a wealthier person. This is why the, the soldiers at the cross gambled over, over his cloak. So he has a, an expensive cloak, but he, he just, even with that, there's just, there's just still this plainness about him. But yet there's something to see, something to seeing him in the flesh. After all, I mean, the possessed are afraid of those eyes. And the weather obeys those calloused hands of his. Like, there's just, there's something to seeing him. And as the crowd grows with latecomers coming in, people scrunch closer together and the tighter they get, the more the heads lean around the other heads to get a better view. And as the crowd jostles around to get better sight, he had to smile as he said these words, blessed or happy are the pure in heart, for it's them that shall see God. Quite possibly my favorite beatitude. The simplicity in this statement, yet so much depth and so I want to take a while here just to look at this closer and unpack this more. Now, we've already looked at what blessed means in this series. Blessed is makarios, which, which means happy. Pure in heart, though, this is worth dissecting just a bit. So let's just kind of stop, out, stop here and just camp out here at pure in heart. Now, actually, I want to Tarantino this and look at heart first, and then we'll look at, at pure in just a second. But the word for heart is cardia, uh, which does not mean your like, physical beating heart. It's kind of like how we say today, you know, I love you with all my heart. We don't really mean like our physical beating heart, do we? You ever wonder why we say that? I love you with all my heart. You know, what does that mean to love somebody with all, with all of your heart? It's like the aorta in my chest pumping blood. I love you with all of that. You know, it's, just, it's kind of like a gross image if, if you take it literally. We mean something different, but often we don't really know what we mean when we say I love you with all my heart. Cardia means seat of desires. So where your desires come from. So when we say, I love you with all my heart, what we're really saying is, is, I desire you with all of my desires, which is far more romantic than I love you with my aorta. 
And so quite literally what Jesus is saying is, is happy are those who have pure desires. It's okay. It changes things a little bit, but let's unpack this even more and look at the word pure. The original word for pure is, is katharos, which means clean. It has an interesting background, but usually it means clean. So like you, you katharos your dishes, you clean your dishes, or you katharos your car, or I guess back then you katharos your donkey, I guess. But typically it just means to clean. But there's another use of this word that can actually shed more light on what Jesus is getting at here. Katharos was also used when talking about the purity of a metal. So 2000 years before Jesus taught this sermon, there was the Bronze Age. Uh, the Sumerians found that if you mix copper with tin, with tin you, you find this useful metal alloy called bronze, and this ushered in the Bronze Age. And then later on, it, you know, the Iron Age came about. By the time we get to Jesus Christ, there's a lot of lingo for different metals and alloys and mixing metals and all of that. And they had this word for, that they would use for non-alloyed metals, pure, clean metal, and that was katharos. It would mean un, unalloyed. So we can look at it in context. It's like, all right, uh, okay, cool. But like, how does that shed light on this verse? Like, happy are those with unalloyed desires. Like, you're just confusing me more, Junior. You're not very good at this teaching thing. Touche, I, I don't disagree with you. But uh, just as katharos means this unmixed metal, here Jesus is saying or calling for an unmixed heart. So the question then becomes, what's an unmixed heart? And typically the answer is, and it's a good answer, is uh, not mixed with sin. To be pure in heart is to not have sin in your heart. Absolutely, that is the primary explicit meaning for sure. However, there's more to it when we put katharos and cardia together. You could almost say this verse this way. Uh, happy are those with unalloyed desires. How, okay, how can a desire be unmixed? With intentions. Really is what Jesus is getting at. In other words, happy are those with unmixed intentions which kind of gives a different take on this verse, doesn't it? Have you ever had wrong intentions? Like you're doing the right thing, but it's like, mm, not great intention. I, I, actually, when I think about me, um, I've got a lot to work on when it comes to this, but um, when I was studying for this, what came to mind was in January, I was in Africa, and I was in this area that, uh, I don't think it was dangerous, but the, the people in that area thought it was dangerous and didn't want me to leave the compound that we were in because I guess I was, you know, white guy sticks out in that area. And so they're like, you have to stay on, on this compound. You cannot leave. And, uh, and after like three days, I was like, I, I just don't want to stay here anymore. And I found like some of these pastors that, that I was with are just the coolest guys ever, like about as BA as they come. And we, we actually, as a church, we pay their, their salaries. And so when, when we give, part of when we give, it, it goes to their salaries. But what they do is they, they, uh, they take motorcycles and they drive from village to village to preach the gospel. And, and in fact, one of them is in prison, sitting in prison uh, right now for, uh, for doing that. But as I was talking with some of these pastors, uh, one pastor had said, you know, I have three different families that are living in my house with me because they lost their jobs because they're Christian. Um, and I'm kind of running out of food. And, and so I said, I said, let's go buy a pig. Let's get your motorcycle. I'll hop on your motorcycle. We'll tie the pig onto the back and let's go, like, let's go bring a, the pig to, to your house. Now, my intentions were mostly to feed the family, but there was also a lot of, I just want to get off of this. I just want to get off of this, this compound. And so there's that, that mixed desire in me. You ever have that? Like you give a gift and it's kind of like, 
maybe to a boss or, or you know, to a teacher, like, I'm gonna, I want to bless them, but this can also kind of come back and help me. And so it's not really 100% pure intentions. It's more allied, alloy desires. Or any husbands in here ever offer to give your, your wife a back massage? I know those aren't 100% pure intentions. In fact, maybe those intentions aren't terrible, but let's get more serious on this. Uh, you ever take, you ever in a meeting and you take somebody's side in the meeting simply because you wanted to pay back the other, somebody on the other side? Like, yeah, you were after what the best decision, but you also really like sticking it to them. You ever give a gift with strings attached? I had a lady a couple of years ago, one time she called the church. She was angry about something. She was angry at me for, um, Oh, when I dedicated my third child, I, I pretended to fall and trip and, 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 and drop the baby, but it was just a doll. And so she got very angry at that. And, uh, and I apologized. Like she called, but she's very angry and I apologized to her, but she, would, she just was having none of it. And she had said to me um, at the end of the phone call, she said, I give to this church. I was like, okay, all right, sweetheart. Well, then this church isn't for you. Like blessing, but also manipulating with that blessing. It's an, that's an unalloyed, or that's an alloyed heart, mixed desires, giving, but there's some impurities in that. Or here's one, you ever parent your children, not in a way that's best for them, but you push them to do and look like what makes you look best? You're gonna wear this and you're gonna say this because we're gonna be around this family and I need to look good. Or my grandma, my dad's mom, she's like, she's like super organic and uh, she's a nut. She, uh, when I was a kid, she would, if her friends were over, um, she would make us eat all this organic stuff. But if her friends weren't there, then we could not, we, we didn't have to eat her organic stuff. It was just like, it's like, all right, well, this is a little weird. All it's because it's like how this makes you look, not really what's best for us. It's, it's a mixed heart. I think we can all be guilty of that. And Jesus is saying, work toward 100% pure intentions, unalloyed intentions. To be candid with you, as a church, this is something that we check and we recheck with, with anyone on stage, whether it's preaching or announcements or band or videos. When there's a stage and there's a spotlight, it can be very hard to have 100% pure intentions of serving the church and not looking for attention. In fact, this is something that I try to stay very sensitive to uh, personally. In fact, before coming out here, it's on my knees because I need that posture before coming out here. Like, why am I getting up here to preach? It's because I'm convicted by God and I feel like I'm commissioned by him to teach his word and serve his church. Or do I, you know, like the stage and what comes with that? I mean, I'm an introvert, but that doesn't really necessarily matter all the time. Introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter. When you have a stage, it's very easy not to, de to not develop mixed intentions for why you get on said stage. You know, up here to serve the church or you just kind of want to look good. This is why actually I've had people, and they're very kind, they, they do this with like such a good heart, but they'll, they'll write me an email and be like, Junior, uh, you know, you're just so hard on yourself on stage. I, I kind of feel bad for you. And I'm not doing that for, for that. It's actually very intentional. This is one of the reasons I'm very self-deprecating because if I become the hero of all my stories, and that's a lot of preachers actually, if I become the hero of all my stories, that leads to preaching with mixed intentions. And that would be a disservice to you. And so I gotta press myself down first because if I have a mixed heart, what Jesus says is then I wouldn't really see God. I have a mixed heart, I can't see God. And if I can't see where God is moving and what God is doing and what he's up to, I certainly shouldn't be up here teaching and pointing to him. And so this beatitude, this verse is extremely heavy when you look at the meaning in its entirety. 
Most people, they look at this verse and think, okay, well, Jesus is poetically saying, you know, we shouldn't live with sin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. But he also said that with hunger and thirst for righteousness. So there's more to this. And when you get to the more, you realize, oh, this is pretty serious. If I have a mixed heart, sin, but also often tensions, that keeps me from seeing the activity of God all around me. The more my intentions are mixed, the more blind we are. A mixed heart, this isn't in your notes, but a mixed heart leads to spiritual blindness. It's a bit like uh, moonshine. You ever hear of uh, the, the supposed myth that bad moonshine makes you blind? You ever hear that myth? So here's where that comes from. hundred years ago in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, moonshining was like a major industry, especially during Prohibition. You know, you couldn't buy alcohol in town, but out in the woods, there's like these network of men who did not appear to be accomplished chemists, but they were producing cheap alcohol. This made for good money, cheap alcohol. And so it's just this big industry, but there was some danger to this because the first bit of alcohol off the still is called the first shot, which is very, very toxic. Basically it's, it's methanol. And if it's not thrown out, it mixes into the moonshine and it can make the batch toxic. Like, honey, is our pastor teaching us how to make moonshine? Of course not. But these toxic batches uh, lead to, led to cases of men becoming blind and it coined the term moonshine blindness. If it is not pure, it's, it's blinding. And this is, this is the case that Jesus is making with our heart. When there's impurities in our heart, whether it's sin or mixed intentions, all of this becomes this deadly mix leading to spiritual blindness. We're driving throughout life with frosted windshields in a fog. And, and the problem is, we don't even really know it. It's very rare for somebody to actually realize how blind they are. We tend to live oblivious to what we can't see. It's a huge problem. And so initially, as we were preparing for this message, we wrote out like this blindness litmus test. You know, here's five ways of, of, you know, of showing that you're not seeing clearly. Number one, you don't really see God working in your world. And number two, you're image driven. And number three, you're very legalistic. And, and, and maybe there's value in going through all of that. But when I, look, when I look at what Jesus is teaching here in this verse, it kind of struck me. Jesus isn't telling us to figure out how blind that we are so that we can see better. That's not the action that Jesus is calling us to. Seeing clearly is the byproduct. The action that Jesus is calling us to is live with impurity, live with this unmixed heart. The only way you're going to realize how blind you actually are is if you focus on rooting out all the impurities in your heart. And so to approach this verse correctly, we must understand purity is the action, clarity is the result. Purity leads to clarity. Purity leads to clarity. Nobody understands how blind they are until they, until they can see clearly. It's like the story of uh, Ronald Reagan, how Ronald Reagan got glasses. You ever, you ever hear this? I heard this in, in like grade school growing up. So uh, Ronald Reagan had terrible vision when he was, when he was a kid. Um, but it's all he ever knew. You know, he just thought the world was, was blurry. It, you know, it was normal. Um, and the story goes that one day he's riding in the back seat and his, with his sister and her, her glasses fall on the floor. And so he picks them up off the floor and he just kind of teases her and he puts them on. And all of a sudden he like, kind of like exclaimed, Wow because all of a sudden now he could see all of the definition in the world that he couldn't see before. It's like crisp and clear. He's like, man, I didn't know that life could be like that. Up until that point, Reagan just thought he saw fine. The only thing that convinced him that his sight was terrible was more clarity. And this is exactly why Jesus on the Mount that day doesn't try to convince everybody, hey, you're really blind. Let me tell you how blind you are. Instead, he pushes us to pursue purity because it's like putting on spiritual glasses. And one day you'll look back, you'll be thinking like, I don't know how I ever dated that way. 
I was blind. I don't know how I ever did marriage that way. I don't know how I ever did a career that way. I don't know how I ever did friendship that way. With all of that in my heart, how was I ever doing that? Purity leads to clarity. But let's, let's take this further. Let's talk about this more. Uh, purity leads to clarity in relationships. In relationships. Let's get more specific on this. Uh, years ago, I, I sat with a woman in my office and uh, she'd gotten out of this very, uh, this terribly toxic relationship. And, and not the kind where there's like a breakup. And so she just says, oh, it's toxic just to make her feel better that she doesn't have a boyfriend anymore. But it was like actually a truly toxic relationship. And it was one that she definitely contributed to, but the guy was just a schmuck. And at, at one point she had made the comment, you know, just kind of explaining things. And uh, she made the comment, you know, I, I shouldn't have let it go this far. Uh, I should have seen it. You know, I didn't see all the red flags. Like people had told me this is not a good relationship, but I could not see how unhealthy it was. And that's what concerns me. And I asked, I was like, well, were you physical? Like, were you having sex? Were you close to it? She's like, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? It's like pretty much everything. Because the lack of purity within the relationship led to zero clarity about the relationship. See, Proverbs 5 says that sex is intoxicating. Physical intimacy blurs our vision and lowers your standards, which is great for marriage. Terrible for dating. So when you're physical as you're dating, you can't date in clarity. You're going to be with somebody who's way below your standards and you're going to put up with this toxicity, but you don't really see it because you're intoxicated by the sex. Problem is, is one day you wake up and it's going to be this hard reality that you meet. It's like, how did I ever put up with this toxic relationship? Red flags everywhere. Everybody else saw, I didn't. How, how did that happen? Well, the lack of purity led to lack of, of clarity. Jesus is saying here, don't wait for that day. Put down the drink. Stop having sex if you're not married. Think as clearly as possible before you head into any commitments. Like one, of my, one of my favorite pieces of dating advice, like an old saying is, uh, keep your eyes wide open, or keep your, keep, keep your eyes wide open before marriage, half shut afterwards. There's, I mean, it's silly, but like there's a lot of truth to that. Date with your eyes wide open. Clarity, clarity, clarity. Look for all of the red flags. The problem is though, if you're being physical, your eyes begin to close just a little bit from the intoxication. And so date with your eyes wide open. Then when you get married, live with them half shut. After the vows, sex will be this wonderful tool to keep you intoxicated just enough to put up with them for 50 years. <laughs> sex is, is powerfully beneficial in marriage, powerfully devastating before. Actually, 50 years ago, the pastor's wife of this church, um, she would do marriage counseling with couples. And uh, a lot of times marriage, marriage counseling is just couples coming in. They're just annoyed at each other because they just nitpick at each other all the time. And, and so when she would get these couples, um, her main advice to these couples were, you guys need to have more sex. Like couples would, would come in, you know, nitpicking. She'd be like, you guys just need to have more sex. You need to be more intoxicated with each other. Like bring that wonderful old woman back here to this church, you know? <laughs> Sex is great for marriage, horrible for dating. Purity leads to clarity within relationships. And so when I've had people say, well, you know, God doesn't want me to have a fun time, you know, sex before marriage. No, no, no. There is actual science behind this. There is, very, there is a reason why we live pure, especially when it comes uh, to dating. So purity leads to clarity in relationships, but also in leadership. You ever wonder why a leader uh, or a, a CEO, a pastor, a coach, principal, why is it that when they're caught in a scandal, they lose their job? 
but someone not in a high level of leadership role isn't fired. So for example, CEO sleeps with an executive and they're let go, which they should be, absolutely. But a guy bagging groceries at the grocery store sleeps with somebody, it's like, well, probably not gonna be fired. Why is that? Well, if you take Jesus's teaching here, there's, there's a lot to why that is. Leadership requires clarity. Therefore, leadership requires purity. There is nothing worse than a leader who can't see. I think about like the time my dad and I, um, so when I was in high school, my dad and I are very, very different. We get along great, but uh, we're very, very uh, different in many ways. We're trying to figure out like what we could do together. And so um, we, we did scuba diving together. And so at my senior year in high school, um, we went down to, to the Keys to get our advanced open water certification because we wanted to dive deeper. And in one of the training exercises, there was an exercise where you have to take all of your gear off, your goggles too on the boat, and you just throw them to the bottom of the ocean, like to the ocean floor. And then you have to dive down and you have to find your stuff. Uh, you know, first off, you have to get the oxygen because you got to breathe down there. And then, you, you know, you, you fumble around, you find your goggles, you put your goggles on, um, and then you actually clear your goggles out by catching bubbles, you know, from your, from your regulator. Uh, and then after you get all your gear on, then you lead other divers to the next station. So I started off, uh, I was the first one, dove down, you know, found my breathing regulator, cleared out my goggles, all of that, uh, put on my gear, didn't realize that my hair was over the seal of, of my goggles. And so I had, I was pretty deep and had water, salt water dripping in my eye as I'm trying to lead other divers to the next station. I can't see where the station is and I can't even see the divers that I'm leaving. So I was this awful, awful leader all because I couldn't see. And that scenario plays out in many, many of our lives, in many areas of our lives, trying to lead our home, trying to parent, trying to do marriage, trying to run teams, trying to run our classrooms, but we're not seeing clearly because we have these impurities in our heart that are obstructing our vision. We're doing marriage with terrible intentions or we're parenting with these off intentions. We're trying to lead with these sin purities in our heart. And those under our leadership suffer because we're leading blind. The moment a leader holds on to sin, those they lead suffer. So for any of us entertaining sin in our lives, secret habits, addictions, off intentions, attitudes, desires, just critical nature, sin in our heart, often we'll make the excuse, you know, hey, well, nobody really knows about this, right? Nobody knows, so I'm not really hurting anyone. No, you absolutely are. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That sin is severely hurting many because it is blinding you. You're not as clear, you're not as fresh, and your leadership, is, no matter how great you think it is, is stunting those under you. Leaders need clarity, therefore leaders treasure purity. And it could very well be, I don't know this, but it could very well be, you haven't gotten that promotion or you haven't gotten that job or you haven't gotten that opportunity that you'd love simply because God is saying you would not thrive in that. You don't have the purity to thrive in that role. If I put you there, you'll lead blind and you'll stunt others and I can't do that to the others. Purity leads to clarity in relationships, in leadership, and then number three, in spirit. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul speaks of people who live lives with seared consciences. These people where sin just doesn't really bother them as much as it used to. And I think we all know what that's like. You know, you ever like 
You ever think like, it wasn't long ago where we'd scroll on our phones and we'd scroll across like a reel or something and um, it doesn't do great things to the mind. You know, it either it stirs lust or it stirs envy or something. And at first, you know, you, you realize you're like, ah, I shouldn't have. And we felt conviction, but now it's like, eh. Or maybe there's that like flirty encounter at work. You know, it's just kind of fun, a little outlet. And at first like, yeah, this isn't okay. But now it's just like normal. Or that gossip vent session with a coworker. It's like, you're talking about something that, that you're not part of the solution. And at first you're like, ah, that's not good. First time you felt kind of bad about it, but now it's just like, it's just kind of op your operating system. Like after the fourth time, you just don't feel it as much. That's a seared conscience. It's a little bit like my, my air filter at, at my house. You ever change your, uh, or forget to change your air, air filter in your, uh, in your furnace or your air conditioner? You know, in August, remember those like really, really hot days in August? They had like a couple like really hot days in a row. It got toasty and my air conditioner was like struggling to keep up and it was driving me nuts because uh, that's kind of, I get really just um, crazy about that kind of stuff. It's like, I gotta, I gotta fix this. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm checking the air vents and there's like the slightest little breeze that was just kind of like of cold air coming out of my vents. It's frustrating. I was like, ah, I need a, a gust of air. And so I'm checking the unit. I'm calling buddies of mine who know this stuff. And we're checking, it's like air conditioning is fine. Like what's going on? Well, leave it to my wife. She remembered the air filter, took out the air filter. It was black, black. So we changed the air filter. Suddenly got this nice cool breeze just like rushing through our house. The air filter was dirty, blocking that which I needed, fresh air. That's some of our consciences. We violated our conscience so much, either through intentional sin or just off intentions. So much sin, it just doesn't really bother us anymore. That which used to doesn't bother us anymore. And every once in a while, you know, we kind of wonder, why don't I have this fresh wind of God like in my life, this, this freshness, this, this fresh relationship with God. And sometimes we see other people, you know, they're really excited about what God's doing, what God's up to. You know, they're celebrating what God's doing. You're like, you're kind of a bit confused about it. Like, I don't see what they're seeing, you know? I don't feel what they're feeling. Are they just more emotional? Are they faking that? Because I'm not feeling what they're feeling. Like, how come I'm as excited as they are? because there's no fresh wind of God in your life. And it's not that God is inactive because he's absolutely is. It's not that God is distant because he's nearer than ever. It goes back to the filter. It goes back to purity. Conscience is like an air filter. God wants nothing more than to breathe fresh life into your spirit. But you have this seared conscience full of sin and off intentions that's blocking the very activity of God. And this is exactly why Jesus sat on the mount. He said, happy are those who pursue purity, pure desires, because it's that purity that leads to clarity of the divine hand of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for it's them that are gonna see God. Many of you have been praying for my, my daughter, Nora, and uh, she's doing great now. If you don't know, she was born with a cataract and it's not the end of the world, but, um, but it has and it periodically does threaten her eyesight. So she has a lot of pressure in her eye. And it was eight months ago that a doctor had told us that she was likely gonna lose sight in that eye. And since then, God has, has really surprised us in the doctors. We, had, uh, we asked the elders to come over and, and pray over her and, and uh, she's doing good. 
She's doing good now. In fact, so, so good that there's like a team of doctors at UIC that are studying her case to try to figure out what, what happened. Um, it's just so beautiful because it's like you guys aren't, I mean, study all you want, but it, it was totally like it was a God thing. Um, but it was, a, it was a very scary season eight, nine months ago. Um, it's like, man, girl might lose her sight, you know, and, and I would then, her eye would then probably wander and she'd have depth perception issues. And so it was just kind of like this, this chain of events, you know, and so we're trying to figure out how to handle this. And, and she was pretty quiet about the whole ordeal. And one night I sat her down on the couch and I said, baby, I know you were in the, the room and the doctor said you might lose your, your sight. How, how are you doing? Are you scared? And she said, yeah, but I figure if I'm gonna lose my eye, then I wanna see as much as I can right now so I can hold on to it. And so I don't wanna miss a thing. It's a, it's a line that breaks dad's heart, but it's so convicting. Cause like, do I treasure my sight? And I'm not talking physical sight, but spiritual sight. Is that the cry of my heart? It's like, God, I just wanna see you. I, I just wanna see what you're doing. I, I wanna see where you're leading. Man, God, I don't want to miss a thing that you're doing. It's like Moses. I mean, if you're in the Breach Reading Program right now, we're going through Exodus, and I love that Moses says, just show me your glory. Show me your glory. I just want to see you. And ever since my daughter said that, I've, I've added that exact line in my morning prayer. Like, God, I just want to see you today. I know you're going to be working all around me. I know you're going to be revealing. I know you're going to be guiding. I know you're going to be directing. Man, God, I don't want to miss a thing. And so convict me of my impurities. Point out my sin. Expose my off intentions. I, I just want to see you as much as I can today. And I don't want to miss a thing. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. It wasn't long after those words were spoken that God in flesh embraced the cross. His very heart stopped beating in order to breathe life into yours. So doesn't it make sense why he would say, man, keep that pure. I died to give you that. I went to the cross to give you a new heart. Take it seriously. Guard it. Protect it. Don't mix it because I'm going to interact with you through that, through your heart. I'm going to convict you through your heart. I'm going to lead you through your heart. I'm going to stir you to action through your heart. I'm going to show you great and mighty and wonderful things through your heart, but you're going to miss it if it's mixed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. God. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.